Okay, um, if you have got a Bible or you want to turn your Bible on, if it's on your phone, please turn to Daniel chapter 3. And um, we're going to start today a new series called the Impossible Series. How to do what is easier said than done. So in my mind, when I read the Bible, there are lots of things in the Bible I think that is easier said than done. Something expected of us that seems too difficult. And when I've gone to church in the past, normally I get told that I should not worry. I should resist the devil. I should love my enemies. I should walk by faith, etc., etc. And these are why I should do these things. But rarely am I helped at least this is me personally, how to do those things. So over this summer, we're going to look at a lot of these subjects and we're going to ask the question, how do we do some of this stuff? And so today, we're going to look at this subject. How do we walk by faith? Uh, 2 Corinthians says this, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So the Bible instructs us that sometimes things will be difficult, things will not look like the way we hope they're going to look, things will seem like they can't work out, and yet God tells us to walk by faith. The question for me is, how do we do that? We know why we should do it, many of us. Uh, The Bible says this, and without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So uh, we know there's huge benefits to walking by faith, to believing God, believing that he exists, believing that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, even though sometimes it's not looking like it's going to work that way. So how do we do that? Uh, I want to share three things I've been learning over my life uh, with you, and I'm going to pray and hope that at least one of them captures your imagination and is helpful to you today. So and we're going to pray first, and I'm going to launch into this. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your goodness. Uh, I thank you for um, just a wonderful day today. I thank you for the opportunity of sharing your word. Uh, I pray as we look at this story and we learn the lesson from it, that you will give us new insight into how we can walk by faith. In your name we ask it, Lord. Amen. Amen. So um, I don't know if you've ever felt like you live in your second choice world. Um, This is a term that was phrased by Dr. Uh, Viv Thomas, a second choice world. Most of us have a world in our imagination that we want to live in. You know, everything's good. Uh, We have health, so we can go wherever we want to do. Our bodies will do whatever we want our bodies to do. Uh, We have wealth. We've had a good education, so we've got the kind of career that we want. Um, We have great friends, and our great friends always do and say the kind of things we want them to do and want them to say. But the reality is, most of us don't live in that world. Most of us, there's always something. Um, so when uh, the fox Lily and my wife, and uh, well, when I was getting to about 50 years old, and she was getting to 21 again, um, she said to me, by now, I thought that kind of everything would be, would be on top of everything. Everything would be kind of working out. By now, surely we'd be in that place where everything's settled, and we'd have things to worry about. But the reality is, there's always something. There's usually something. You know, when I was younger, I had my health. I had loads of opportunities, but I didn't have money. Nowadays, I've got some money. I've got some of my health, uh, but I've got loads of responsibilities. There's always something. Is that not true? There's always something. The planets never completely align. And even if they do, it's only momentarily. 
Something is out of whack at some point. And um, I don't know how that makes you feel sometimes uh, when things don't work and what your response is to a second choice world if it's um, to fight or flight, as they say. You know, we can be in our second choice world and we can be praying, God, get me out of here. Or we can be asking God, what is the point of this second choice world? And with that in mind, I want to look at a story about um, three guys with peculiar names. Um, um, they're called uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they lived many, many years ago. And one day they were taken out of their first choice world. They were taken away from their people. Um, they were taken from a place where everybody thought the kind of thing that they thought and had the same kind of values as them. And they were put in a different land with different people who thought differently, acted differently, and a completely different set of values. And then one day, the king of that land decides to build a 90-foot idol to himself and says, whenever music is played, you have to bow down in front of that idol. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, well, that's not our value. Uh, we believe the Bible says that God doesn't want us to have any other idol. Uh, and so no, we're not going to do it. And we pick up what happens in this story in Daniel chapter 3, starting at verse 13. So let me just read this to you. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king, summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and he said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I don't know if you've ever had um, an argument with someone and then you've had a brilliant answer too late. Has that ever happened to you? You've been in an argument with someone and you've had a brilliant answer just too late. You've walked out the door and you thought, oh, I should have said that. I, I should have go back. No, I probably can't go back. You put the phone down and you remember some statistic or something that happened. You thought, oh, I could have just said that. Um, so um, we all have, uh, we all argue in different ways. And uh, these guys are in their second choice world. And this king is saying this to them. What do they do next? So my two sons, Joel, who's here, and Levi, who's in um, Germany right now, have uh, two different methods when they were younger of how they would deal with things. So one day, my, my wife, Lynn, was at the corner shop, and uh, Joel, being a, a healthy young boy, uh, hated girls, or so I thought. And my uh, wife went to the local corner shop and asked for some porridge, like oatmeal. And um, the lady behind the counter said, aren't you, aren't you Joel Gibbs's mother? And she said, yes. She said, oh yeah, we're best, we're best finding the best porridge for our daughter Kelsey's boyfriend I thought oh he's got a girlfriend so he came home now um, being involved in youth ministry what I've learned is uh, um, teasing children can be really detrimental it can affect them and it's not a good thing to do I've also learned it's a lot of fun so when he came back what I said to Joel was hey Joel who's Kelsey 
and you can see the fear grow across his face. You can see this is a terrible predicament. I've been found out. This is awful. And you can see him stretching for some kind of answer, some kind of thing that would stop the, the conversation. And then he came up with this, with his mind, you know, he's, he's kind of creative. He thought it through. And he came up with this. He went, <laughs> I just ran off. He was 21 at the time. No, he wasn't. He was about five or six. Uh, Levi, my youngest son, had a different way of doing this. He's, uh, again, a little bit more creative. So when Lynn, Lynn said yes, he would say no. And she would say yes. And he would say no. And she would say yes. And he would pull his pants down and go, no, I'll we. Which is a really great idea when you're three. It's a genius idea. Uh, my experience is... Um, it's not a good idea in elders' meetings. That's what I've learned. Don't do that in an elders' meeting. But it's a good idea when you're a child. Uh, Tony Blair once said to people that he was um, working with, Tony Blair was a politician in England. He, um, I don't know if you've ever seen Prime Minister's Question Time and people get up and shout questions at the Prime Minister. And he said to his staff, I need some killer facts. I need some one-liners that will help me Win the conversation, win the argument, give me killer facts. And what you find in this passage of scripture is these three guys come up with killer facts, three killer facts, all of which have helped me at different times in my life to learn how to walk by faith. And I want to share them uh, with you. The first one is very simple. It's this. Do not enter the wrong conversation when you're trying to walk by faith. So Daniel 3 verse 16, they say this, we do not have to defend ourselves before you. It's a great point. We'd have to defend ourselves before you. And they moved on to talk about God. And what I've noticed is that sometimes when we're trying to walk by faith, we enter into the wrong kind of conversation. We enter into a conversation with our fears. Sometimes we enter into a conversation with our foes. Some of us are brilliant at meditation. Brilliant at meditation. We don't realize it because it has a different name. It's called worry. But we're really good at worry. And the worst use of imagination is to imagine the worst. And what happens is we enter into that conversation with our fears. Um, so what I've learned as a, as a dad and also as a husband, uh, when, when Lynn and I have something that's going on, is I've learned not to enter into that conversation too much. And not to talk and talk and allow fears to get worse and worse and worse. Um, I don't know. Um, one of the other things I've learned is I don't want to create an echo chamber. Do you know what I mean by the phrase an echo chamber? When you're talking with people like mind all the time and it escalates. Um, I don't know if you saw the news this um, week and, and maybe I don't know, controversy. I don't know what your thoughts are on this. But uh, a TV evangelist right now apparently is asking his congregation to believe for a $54 million jet. And uh, I'm not the biggest fan of that, but you may be. But what was interesting was in the news report, um, it showed a clip with him and another TV evangelist. Both guys are great guys. But they were, they were like in an echo chamber, and they're kind of talking about it. And they're starting to make more and more extreme statements. At one point, one of the guys says, yeah, you know, I'm sure God doesn't want us to get into a commercial flight because it's getting on a tube full of demons. And I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure he regrets making that statement now. And what happens is we get ourselves into echo chambers, we get ourselves into those situations and we talk about our fears and we talk about our worries and it, it's detrimental to walking by faith. Don't enter into the wrong conversation, enter into the right conversation. The right conversation is with God. 
and asking him for his view on the matter and what his thoughts are on the matter and what he should talk about. So for me, in our conversations with Lynn, it's always, hey, what is God saying to us? What would Jesus do? In fact, what did Jesus do, do in a situation like this? And we can walk by faith when we're not double-minded about God's grace. See, in a second-choice world, and this may not affect you this way, but when things go wrong, I kind of think it's my fault I've done something wrong. Uh, and there's that kind of weird thing that grips my mind of, I've done something wrong. And uh, the devil is not a name, it's a title. You, you probably know this. Uh, Lucifer is a name, Satan is a name, the devil is a title. It means an accuser, an accuser of the brethren. And he knows how to do it, and he keeps on digging. I have a friend who was preaching once, and he was doing a typical youth preach. I wasn't there, but I heard about it. And he was, he was trying to explain to people that, you know, no matter what you look like, sorry, no matter what you look like, God loves you because of what you, what's on the inside. And he's turned to people, you may, be, you may be fat, you may be thin, you may be tall, you may be short, you may be this, you may be that. You may have a, and he pointed to one girl and said, you might have a face like a Russian shot putter. Well, apparently she kind of did. So what he did was he, he did the wrong thing, which he's tried to dig himself out of it. So he's going, not that I think you have. I, we don't think you have, do we? And he just starts panicking about the whole thing. Now, in my mind, they kind of like the lights went on and they had a vote. I don't know what really happened, but you could see him panicking apparently because he's realized I've just accused this girl or something. And accusations stick. You know, Ryan said as we led worship this morning, hey, let's, let's break away from the things that people have said about us. And so we need to have that right conversation with God, not the wrong conversation if we're going to walk by faith. So these guys realize we're in trouble here, but we're not going to talk to you about this. We're not going to defend ourselves. We're not going to have a conversation about the rights and wrongs. You're the wrong person to have this with. We're going to look to God and see what God says about us and see what God says about our future. The second thing that they share, which I think is really helpful, is really simple. If we are thrown into the fiery furnace, our God is able to save us from it, and our God will rescue us from your hand. God is able. That's what they knew. The question is, how did they know it? How did they know that God could rescue them from this situation? Um, you know, I've seen a lot of weird things happen in my life uh, over the years, um, and some of them are like, is it a coincidence or is it God? I remember many years ago when we were growing at uh, the organization Pays, we outgrew the church that we were in and we needed a new building and we couldn't afford a new building. But uh, there was 19 people in this rundown building and the 19 people said to us, hey, you can use this building if um, you can give us the money that's left for our, on our mortgage. The church has gone down, the numbers have gone down, there's only 19 of us left. But if you can pay off our mortgage, then we will give you the building. This was in Manchester. And I said, well, how much is it? And they said, it's 46,000 pounds. And you know, you might say this is a coincidence or you might say it's God, but 46,000 pounds was exactly to the penny how much money we did not have. Because <laughs> we were skinned, we had nothing at all. But God is able. A few months later, they came back and said, you know what? Forget the money. If you can help us lead the church, we'll give it you for free. So essentially, we used the building for free for years. God is able. You remember that stuff. You remember that stuff. So um, less, uh, less than a, a decade ago, um, the church that brought us over to America, the time was up there. I felt we should go full-time with pays, which meant leaving the first job I'd ever had 
that had actually given me a proper salary and stepping out in faith, walking by faith. I really believe God wanted me to go full-time and lead pays. We had no um, financial income at all. So I thought, I better go around now and start raising money somehow. So I was booked into some churches to preach. And I was booked into one church of quite a lot of people. It was a big church in Colorado. And I think, oh, great. You know, maybe after I preach, people come up to me, hear about pays. They want to support. That'll help us grow the ministry. Anyway, I got there, there was a massive snowstorm. It was the biggest snowstorm they'd had for like years and years and years. There was almost a thousand people in this church and there was two services. In the first service, there were 30 people. 30 people. I'm thinking, oh no. Everybody's saying, don't worry, people just delayed. They'll be in the next service. In the next service, there's 26 people. And I'm in the service and I remember thinking to myself, I was on the front row ready to preach. I'm like, Lord, I thought you wanted me to do this. I thought you wanted me to speak. I thought you wanted me to... to to do the pays thing, I thought you what? And what I remembered was all the past things that God had done and felt a bit assured. Anyway, long story short, what happened was um, the people who were supposed to take me to my next church, which was in the mountains in Colorado, couldn't make it because of the snowstorm. So because of the snowstorm, that meant less than 60 people came from an 800-numbered uh, church. Another couple came and we spent nine hours trying to drive into the mountains through a massive snowstorm. And they'd been listening to tapes, and uh, the next morning they said, God spoke to us on the drive, and we believe we're supposed to pay your salary for the next two years. It was bizarre. It was weird. And you start getting stories like that, and they build up, and they build up, and they build up. How did these guys know that God is able? It's really simple. I'll explain by a simple illustration. And um, forgive me if I've, I don't think I've shown you these pictures. First time I came to America, I was taken to this building. This is a youth building. A church youth building in Tulsa. It's huge. I couldn't believe it. I'd never seen anything like this in my life. And then they, they took me inside. This is the snack bar. I'd happily live there. This was my snack bar. And then they had a baseball court, uh, sorry, basketball court inside the church. And they, upstairs they had loads of iPods. It was brand new at the time. They had all these iPods and iPads and all sorts of MP3 players. And then they had the sanctuary for 200 young people that they would try and fill on a Wednesday. And I looked at this building and I thought, this is incredible that these guys can have faith for this. If you show these pictures in England, do you know what people say? Only in America. <laughs> Only in America. And I thought, this is amazing. This, like, this costs millions of dollars, this building. What incredible faith. So uh, I thought, wait until they hear about schools ministry because they can only, at best, they can get 2,000 students in this building. And most of them are probably already Christians anyway. Whereas with schools ministry, you can reach thousands and thousands and thousands. In England, we were reaching over 100,000 students. And it cost like $19,000 for a whole team for a whole year. Wait until I tell them about this. So I met some pastors uh, in East Texas. And they said to me, only in England. Only in England. And it's really interesting. Everywhere we go around the world, there's always a only in somewhere. There's always what I call the nation card. Well, this nation is too poor. This nation is too secular. This nation is too religious. This nation has separation between wherever it might be. Here's the fact of the matter. The pagans believed, the pagans believed there were gods of different territories. In other words, on this hill there's one god, and on this hill over here there's a different god. And armies would go to war to see whose god was strongest, or at least believing their god was stronger than the other god. Now, most of us as Christians know that's ridiculous. We believe in one God. But the fact is, sometimes we treat him that way. Because we know that God's done the, the impossible here 
But we forget that means if God's real and he can do an impossible here, he can do an impossible here as well. If he can do the impossible in your relationships, he can do the impossible with your finances. If he can do the impossible with your finances, he can do the impossible with your health. God is God or he's not. And for me, this really helped me when I read this. Well, God is able. How did they know? Because they'd seen God work in the past. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this in the worship. Um, in, in our old church, we used to, um, so I used to come from a Pentecostal church. Some of you know that. And uh, that meant that individuals in the church would stun, some, sometimes stand up and pray just that, just out loud. That was the way we did it. And we had this lady whose name I've totally forgotten, an old lady. And she always used to stand up and say, Lord, I lift up my Ebenezer. And I remember as a kid thinking, I have no idea what this woman is talking about. Lord, I lift up my Ebenezer. I'd look around, what's an Ebenezer? she's got nothing in her hands. What is an Ebenezer? And I realized, of course, after a while, that an Ebenezer was, um, when God did a, um, something amazing, they would build some kind of stone um, monuments. And uh, the idea of this monument was, every time people walked past it again, it would remind them of what God had done for the future. So how do we walk by faith? We remember, we write down, we collect, we, we, we somehow visualize and put on our walls. Somehow we try and remember what God did in the past. Because we forget so quickly. We forget so quickly. God, God answers our prayers and then we forget and then we have another issue and we forget that it's the same God from five years ago or last year or two months ago. We forgot. How do I learn? How am I learning to walk by faith? I'm learning by remembering what God has done in the past. Because what God's done in the past, he'll do in the future. Um, the problem with second choice world is we can feel out of control and we can feel fearful. But we can walk by faith when we're not double-minded about God's ability. 1 John 4 verse 4 says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in your second choice world. Okay, but the most important, the most important thing to help me, and I would suggest help you, walk by faith, is the third thing that these guys say. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. That's an amazing statement. We don't have to defend ourselves to you. We just have to listen to God. He's able. But even if he's not, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to do the right thing even if he's not. Now, some of us, we step out in faith, believing God for something. We do the right thing, believing that God will reward us, God will take care of us. But Proverbs says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Uh, the NIV translation is not very good. It says the hope disappointed. But the actual uh, Hebrew word morshak means delayed. Hope delayed makes the heart sick. I've said this before, forgive me. But faith isn't most required when we step out in faith. It's after we've stepped out in faith while we're still waiting for the promise. It's awkward. But that's when we need faith the most. And what we've got here is a passage where these guys realize that, hey, we're going to do this even if God doesn't answer. Even if God doesn't rescue us, we're going to do the right thing anyway. It's an incredible statement. Now, I'm going to um, explain this to you just really quickly uh, using the Bible, which is always a good thing. Um, but I'm going to use the one passage in the Bible 
the one part of your Bible, if you've got one of these kind of Bibles, that is misleading. This is where you kick me out. Okay, Jason's going to rush the stage now and boot me out. Okay, so uh, Donna, you've got a Bible on you, yeah? I want you to turn to the one misleading passage of uh, the Bible, which is just at the end of Malachi. So if you can find Malachi, just before the New Testament starts, and I want you to show me what's in your Bible at the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. If you, if you don't mind just putting your hand up in the air or maybe standing and showing everybody what you've got, can you find that? Yeah, just show everybody, if you don't mind. Okay, turn it around. Okay, what's on the next page? Okay, so you've got a good Bible. I've got a naughty Bible. Let me show you what's on. Ryan's got a naughty Bible. Let's, let's pass me your Bible up. Thank you. Okay, what you've got here in most Bibles, especially naughty Bibles like Ryan's, and my naughty Bible as well, let me show you my naughty Bible, is a blank page. Now, that blank page is really misleading. I'll explain why. The blank page represents 400 years of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you might think nothing happened. Like, oh, there was no battles. Nobody slept with somebody else. There was no juicy gossip. Nothing interesting to write about. Actually, what was happening was something really, really interesting. Something that's called the new sensitivity within Judaism. And these three guys were, if you like, ahead of their time. Let me just explain. During this time, there were three questions that were happening in Judaism. The first question was this. Does the old compensatory system of ethics work? In other words, in the Old Testament, everything was black and white. You do a bad thing, bad things will happen to you. You do a good thing and good things will happen to you. Well, that's why, if you know the story, forgive me if I'm uh, rushing ahead, the story of Job, when bad things happen to Job, his friends come around him and basically say, so what's the sin? What have you done? And Job says, I've not done anything wrong. And they go, no, come on, really? What's really happened? What have you been up to? Because they can't, in their, in their um, understanding of God, they can't get beyond the idea that if you do a bad thing, bad things will happen. If you do a good thing, good things will happen. The problem is it doesn't work like that, does it? Even the prophets and the psalmists would say, God, why do you allow bad things happen to good people and, uh, and good things happen to bad people? So one of the questions they were thinking is, well, maybe we've, we've misunderstood what the Bible meant by this. Maybe it's not the Bible's wrong, but maybe we've misunderstood. Maybe it's not as simple as that. And the second question they asked at this time is, <clears throat> if someone is good to get a reward, were they really being good in the first place? If someone's righteous, just really to get a righteous reward, the reward of the righteous, are they really righteous in the first place? That's an interesting question. And the third question that drove them is, what is the kingdom of God anyway? But this second question I think is really important. Will we do the right thing just because it's the right thing? Just because of what God has done in our heart? Will we walk by faith Will we do the thing that God's asked us to do, even when all hell breaks out? Or are we making deals with God? Um, sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. And um, I don't know if this was ever built, but it's true that um, many years ago, um, Reuters put out a press release. Reuters is the kind of place you go to for, for news reports. And Reuters said that the uh, Israeli tourist board had just passed a motion 
to build um, something in Capernaum just jet jutting out into the sea. It was a glass walkway. I can't remember how long it was, but it was, uh, it was quite a long way. It was like 50 feet. And it would go from the shore, just an inch under the water, out into the Sea of Galilee, base of the shore near Capernaum. I don't know if it ever got built. Can you guess why? Don't forget it was a tourist board. It was so people could basically go and say, look, I'm walking on water. And people could take photographs of them. It's crazy. But that's what they planned to do. I don't know if they ever did it, but that was the plan. And the reality is people would appear to be walking by faith, but actually there was something invisible to everybody else that was underneath their feet. Do we do that? Do we appear to be walking by faith, but actually there are certain conditions? Well, I'll, I'll follow God as long as my friends do. Um, I'll forgive as long as someone meets me halfway. Um, I'll give as long as God multiplies it and gives it back to me. These three guys said, even if he doesn't, we want you to know that we will not worship your gods or worship the images of gold that you have set up. That's an incredible challenge, but it's really helpful to me to put out of my mind the deal. I, I can walk by, I found I can walk by faith better if I don't put conditions in there. I don't know about you. And for me, a lot of the, the, the ministry I've heard has been encourage me, you should walk by faith, and if you do, here are all the rewards. Well, yes, I believe there are. But the reality is, sometimes they're not. Sometimes it hurts to follow God. There will be a reward one day, but you can't walk by faith if it has to be now. Because hope is often deferred. Hope is often delayed. But will you do the right thing because it's the right thing? Let me finish with one last story. I was um, speaking in Estonia um, just before, just after the wall came down many, many years ago. And um, some strange things happened that week, but probably one of the weirdest things happened uh, after I'd left. My interpreter called me. I was speaking to my interpreter uh, who interpreted for me when I was speaking a week later. And my interpreter um, was telling me how things had gone in the church since I'd been there. And he said, something happened pretty dramatically the next week. And uh, I said, oh, what happened? He said, well, when the preacher was preaching, uh, the pastor was preaching, a guy from the back ran to the front, got his knees and started begging, please, please pray with me, please pray with me. I want to give my life to God. And so, it's a true story. So the elders said, well, you know, or the, sorry, the pastor said, well, you can do that at the end, it's okay. He said, no, I need to do it now, I need to do it now. So we got the elders, they took him into a room, and this is what he said to him. He said, um, I, I've, I work for the, the Russian mafia, and I've been, given, um, I've been given a task to kill and assassinate someone. And I either do it, or I give my life to Jesus. But if I, if I don't do it, they will kill me. And um, I, I need to pray and know that I have salvation if I don't do this thing. So they prayed with him and led him to the Lord. And a few days later, he was found in Tallinn Park with a bullet wound through his head. That, that guy understood what these guys understood. He was going to do the right thing just because it was the right thing. He wasn't making a deal with God. He did the right thing because it was the right thing. 
And these three things, I don't know if they're helping you, but these three things have really helped me. Practically, number one, don't have a conversation with your fears or your foe. I'm talking about your spiritual foe. Don't argue the point with him. Don't spend time on that. Don't worry. Don't put your imagination into imagining the worst. Second thing, remember God is able. How do you walk by faith? Collecting, remembering, finding some way of raising your Ebenezer's up. The things that God did. Is there a way you can put that somewhere in your kitchen? When you go past it, it reminds you to walk by faith. But thirdly, perhaps most importantly, is not making deals with God. And committing to do the right thing just because it's the right thing to do. Knowing that God will, in some way, at some point in his time, take care of everything for you. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Uh, one of the things that was dropped on my heart, just as we were praying to, to say, is that um, I believe the Lord would challenge us to always do our best, no matter what the circumstances. You know, um, I'm determined in my heart to always prepare the best I can, whether the room's full or empty, uh, wherever I go. And for you, it might be a different thing that in your workplace, or in your relationships, you always do the best, you always do the right thing, no matter what the circumstances are. We are to live by faith, not by fate. And that's really important for us this morning. If we don't allow our circumstances to affect our walking by faith, then our walking by faith will affect our circumstances. Help us, Lord, we pray, just to... Um, Lord, there are things in your word that seem impossible and they are difficult. And Lord, we just draw upon you right now uh, that we might do the right thing because it's the right thing. It's the godly thing. It's the thing you would want of us. Lord, I pray for those of us who have been entering the wrong conversations with their enemy, with their fears. I pray for those who have forgotten, Lord, the things you've done in the past and are therefore not strengthened by them for the future. Help us, we pray.